0: Codewinds, Episode 4, a discussion with Pete Hunt on Facebook's hot new JavaScript UI framework, React. Welcome to the Codewinds Podcast, where we cover leading-edge web developer news and training with an emphasis on Node, JavaScript, and HTML5. My name is Jeff Barcheski, and I am here to help you navigate the winds of change in this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Pete Hunt, a software engineer at Facebook. We discussed Facebook's new JavaScript UI framework called React. Facebook's React introduces new ideas and approaches to building web interfaces, which I find very interesting and compelling. React can be used on the client or server side with Node.js and can not only render to HTML but also other devices like the canvas. The links and show notes for this podcast are available at CodeWinds.com slash four, as in episode four. So here's my discussion with Pete Hunt. Well, today I'm talking with uh, Pete Hunt, a software engineer for Facebook. Pete's been involved in implementing the photos on the timeline, he rewrote the face detection and recognition pipeline, he's built the HTML5 full-screen photo, photo viewer, he's rewrote the video and code backend, he's a Huxley project maintainer to help Instagram fight visual regressions, a React core team member, and currently he's building out the front-end infrastructure and products for Instagram on the web.
1: So hello, Pete. How's it going, Jeff?
0: Good. Good to have you on. Awesome. So, I guess the the big question we were we we're coming here today to ask you about is React. That's one of the one of the hot new products, uh, hot new projects coming out of Facebook. So, yeah. what is React, and uh, why might people want to use it?
1: Well, React is um, a way to build applications in JavaScript, uh, specifically front end UI or user interfaces in JavaScript. And um, we released it in May of last year, We open sourced it, but it's actually been in production for a long time. Uh, I think since um, maybe like early 2012 or late 2011. And it's quickly become kind of one of Facebook's premier uh, open source projects. We've got a lot of of contributors. I think our last um, release had like 70 or 80 contributors on the list um and uh we're just really excited that the community has has contributed a lot and and found it useful um and we're we're just like it's it's always great when you can like take a solution that um uh, to a problem you had internally and share it with the world and and it just gets better for us and it gets solves a problem for other people so
0: yeah that's excellent that's that's wonderful and it's great to hear that the the community has embraced it and and uh, started wanting to contribute and all that that's that's really i think the 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 pinnacle of of an open source project is when you can kind of get that uh, that community buy in,
1: and uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so David Nolan uh, is um, I think he created Closure Script, or he's a big figure in the in the Closure Script community. Um, uh, adopted React um, a while ago, and made the really good point that because they decided to reuse an existing tool in the community, namely React. Um, they're able to get a lot of performance benefits from the work that we do. So in their last, uh, when they upgraded to 0.9, our latest release, they got like a 2x improvement on a lot of their benchmarks. Um, and it's great for us too because um, ClojureScript and, and the Clojure community has a lot of great abstractions for building complex applications and we're able to to take those and kind of backport them and give them to the rest of the JavaScript community. So it's really this symbiotic relationship where because um, we decided to not reinvent stuff and instead like reuse the, the good stuff that's already out there. Um, everybody is benefiting. So it's just been like a, an enormous win for us.
0: That's excellent. Yeah. Wonderful. So, um, so how did this come about? So back, uh, back before, uh, you said this has been, been developing for quite a while and, and you've been using it in internally. Um, so what, uh, what brought it about I and mean, what was the pain you guys were experiencing at Facebook and, uh, and Instagram and, and what, uh, you know, what brought about the, uh, the idea to build something like Facebook or a uh, react?
1: Well, um, right around the end of 2011, there was an engineer on ads who was faced with this problem where nobody really understood how the system worked. So, um, when you create an ad on Facebook, there's a lot of events that fire all the time. You've got to fetch data about who you're targeting and render a preview and um, and all sorts of stuff. And there were maybe two people at the company that could really fit all that whole program in their head. And if they didn't work on it for you know a week, they would forget. Um, just because it was <laughs> yeah. so complicated. Right, right. And um, the problem is, is that we had two main ways of building applications um, before React. The first is we had a a global event bus where basically we would have all these different modules and they would broadcast events onto the page and other modules would listen to them and maybe broadcast other events um, based on other events that were firing. So you've got events on events. Um, That works really well for simple things uh, like kind of the um, 2007 era Ajax app. (laughs) It works pretty yeah. well. Right, right. Uh, when you start building more and more stuff into the, the front end, it gets um, kind of unwieldy. So one of the problems that they faced was um, they were never sure which events were going to fire and in which order. And so when you're accumulating these events, it became very hard to reason about what state your program was going to be in. So this is a recurring theme of React, which is like program state is hard to reason about. Uh, so... In order to address that, a really popular technique um, and one that we initially um, adopted is called called data binding. And the idea with data binding is basically you've got all this state in your program and it's hard to keep it synchronized. So let um, some sort of data binding system bind one piece of state to another piece of state. Um, So the the quintessential example is like like if you have a to-do list app, right? And you have a count of the number of unfinished to-do items um, that state is, is potentially multiple places in your app. It's in the DOM, um, the length of the list, of the to-do list has that state, and maybe you're storing it somewhere else too, um, possibly implicitly. And like, maybe you've got the number of total to-do items and the number of uncompleted to-do items. And there's some duplicated state in there. So a data binding system basically sets up um, you know, observers that say, you know when this piece of data changes, call this callback and make sure that this other piece of data is updated appropriately. And so we started deploying that um, as part of our ad system as well in a, in a framework that we called Bolt, which we, we quietly open source, but we never really um, made a big deal about it. It's um, somewhat similar to like Backbone. Now, this presented its own set of challenges. Um, first of all, it doesn't solve um, the time problem. So the, the abstraction is a little bit better than a global event bus, but you still have callbacks firing um, when you don't expect them to. And you need to make sure that everything is is synchronized at every point in time. What's also difficult is um, keeping track of all those callbacks isn't free. So you pay a cost in terms of code complexity and um, uh, understanding the performance characteristics. So these systems can be fast it's just very difficult to understand when you make a change, like how is that going to affect your performance? So what might just be incrementing a single integer, maybe that's very fast and there's only one observer attached to it, or maybe there's hundreds of thousands of of pieces of data that depend on this. Uh, And it's very hard for you to know um, what your program is going to do when you, when you make a change. When you get something as complex as kind of our power tools for creating ads at Facebook, um, it's just, it's unmaintainable. And so Uh, we needed to solve this problem. We all recognized that it was a big problem. So, um, uh, basically Facebook, um, was really good about just letting, um, this engineer Jordan go and and run off and and prototype this system, uh, that eventually became, uh, react.
0: Great. Excellent. And, um, so, so basically, um, you wanted, to get, you wanted to handle all this uh, uh, in a different way than, than just doing the, the typical data binding approach. And, and so what makes, um, so how does this work? How does, how does somebody uh, use React and, and how does it not use data binding, but also um, take the data updates and get it onto the screen?
1: Sure. Um, well, the, there's a, a couple of core ideas in React, um, but I'll try to, to make it as, as kind of simple as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but people like to talk a lot about the virtual DOM and that kind of thing. Um, but that's just the means to an end. So like our, our main goal here um, is we want to provide um, what we like to think of as an immediate mode abstraction onto the DOM. And what I mean by immediate mode is, is that um, rather than having this stateful UI, like this stateful um, DOM, where you say, you know, set the, the class name of this to this value, and then later on you can mutate something else in the DOM, um, conceptually programming like you're throwing away your entire application and re-rendering it every time um, is a lot simpler. And if you think about kind of how UIs are evolving, they've, they've gotten um, really complex, and they, they continue to get very complex. And, and people often underestimate how complex they get because designers do a great job of making them feel simple. Right. Uh, so what we've observed is that, you know, what are kind of the most complex user interfaces out there? Um, and they're, they're like 3D games. Um, if you think about it a a lot of them are multiplayer and they're networked and they have different asynchronous events firing everywhere you need to present a consistent view of the world to multiple users and and the way that they handle that um, is through the same approach it's an immediate mode drawing approach so you have your game state somewhere and it's the minimal um, set of state possible and then you compute everything you need for a given frame and draw it and so we thought to ourselves okay what would it take for us to, to bring this programming model to, use up, to UIs, uh, specifically UIs running in the browser? And so um, that's where the idea of a virtual DOM comes in. So we can't just throw out the regular browser DOM and, and re-render the whole thing because if you're typing something in a text box, you'll lose it, or the, the, the browser will flash. It's just not going to work. Um, but what we discovered was if we rendered to something called a virtual DOM, where we say, um, hey, we we generate a a description of the DOM that we want, and then we diff um, a previous description with the description that we want to update the UI to to look like. Um, We can do that in an efficient efficient way, um, and the programming model just becomes a lot simpler, and and there's a lot of uh, of problems we just don't have um, in this model anymore. So um, we don't think about synchronizing pieces of data. Um, with with bindings, and we don't think about events firing um, because we just have a minimal set of state, and we just paint the the browser DOM with it.
0: Wow, yeah. So that's 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 a very different approach than what everybody else is doing, and I can see how that would be you know m- much easier as far as uh, being able to think about what uh, what's going on and and just have simple inputs and outputs and and be able to test that and and um, I, and and all that. So that sounds really good. Um so I mean and, and the whole idea of basing that um premise around you know what do uh games use to you know w- with their um high performance needs i mean that's amazing the that you guys were able to build something like that for the Dom and uh, and virtualize that out or whatever so mm-hmm. that's excellent so um so as these uh events are or as these uh, the data is changing and and you're tracking this in the in the virtual DOM and then diffing it then you're able to turn around and just update the DOM with the with the changes I guess that's, that's the way it, it gets actually gets to the DOM
1: yep there's there's two virtual DOMS and we basically react as a function that takes these two copies of the virtual DOM and emits like a stream of, of DOM operations so set property with an ID a property name and a value um, or you know and then you can express most things in, in terms of that
0: yeah excellent the um, and so this um, this technology runs, it's all running in JavaScript and so um, and you, you uh, basically uh, so how does one um, uh, program this? Do you need to uh, I believe um, you have a couple different ways to do that right?
1: A couple of different ways to program in
0: React? Yeah, in React.
1: Yeah, um, well there's, it's React is kind of just like a system for mapping a, a view hierarchy um, onto some sort of rendering backend. And the one that we um, most often target is the browser DOM. And so we're pretty unopinionated about everything else. Um, okay. You know, we're, we're almost, if you kind of step back and, and talk to anybody who works on React, we're, we're really actually less concerned about the JavaScript reference implementation and more concerned about the, um, the architecture that, um, that React has. Oh, okay. So JavaScript is kind of like our reference implementation. Yeah. And so we don't care about anything else. So um, you can program with React um, kind of in classic JavaScript. So you can embed a script tag into your page and um, create a React component and render it into the DOM just fine. Um, that would be kind of similar to how you would get started with jQuery. Um, there are other ways, though. Uh, we're on NPM and Bower and Component I.O. Um, but you know, there are people building bindings to React all the time. So the ClojureScript community um, has, I think, four or five different libraries that um, are bindings to React. And the reason they have so many is because they're all trying different architectural techniques um, on top of React. So React is like a way to, to, to paint the dominant immediate mode fashion. And they're like, okay, now that we have this great abstraction, like, what sorts of cool stuff can we do um, kind of in the the data management layer or the handling of events layer um, that's really interesting. And so they have a bunch of techniques there. Um, We've also got kind of more traditional bindings to to libraries like Backbone and um, some various routers. Um, We have uh, an implementation of some ideas from the ClojureScript community um, called Cortex, which is um, someone in our community wrote uh, based on some of the stuff that's going on in Ohm, which is one of the ClojureScript, libraries uh so there's a multitude of different ways to do it um i think my my favorite is to um, there's some starter kits based on npm which make it really easy just kind of like npm install and you're ready to go uh and get started
0: excellent yeah that sounds good and then i guess uh another question someone might have is okay so um sounds really good about you know Building up the uh, the component architecture, the the or the structure, you, know, you you know, with JavaScript. But what if you wanted to, you know, to involve your designers and and all that? So how does how do you play? How do you answer that question? What's your uh, solution for for involving designers and things?
1: Well, this is always an interesting question because um, if you look at React, we don't use traditional templates um, like something like uh, Ember would use. Uh, which is a really popular and high quality framework, um, and we also don't use um, any sort of DOM. Um, we don't really interface with like HTML at all directly, like Angular does. So they have Angular is built around the idea of like you add these magic attributes called directives to your your page, and it makes it dynamic. And um, I think that the premise of these technologies is is sort of to make working with designers easier. Um, whereas we're, we're kind of like pure JavaScript, like function calls and, and building up data structures functionally. So um, at first glance, people think that it's hard for designers to work with, um, with React. Um, I actually disagree with that a lot. I, um, I was a one-man team on Instagram for a while, and I, I worked um, very closely with our designer who contributed a lot of CSS and JavaScript code. And so, um, Instagram.com is like living proof that, you know, designers who write CSS can, and can write JavaScript. I mean, at least the subset that you need to, to work with a a front end engineer with React. Um, so it's a little less about how easy it is and a little more about how unfamiliar it is. So you're going to have to change the way you think about applications a little bit. And you're going to have to change some of the syntax you use. um, but I think that people don't give designers enough respect in the engineering community. So um, CSS is actually really hard. Um, the way that all these selectors work is really challenging. Like, I don't even understand how it works half the time. And, like, I got a degree in computer science. Uh, um, but, but there are, like, des- plenty of designers out there that, that get it and, and own it, and they can, you know... They're not going to... It's not the end of the world if they have to edit a class name and it's, it's in a JavaScript object literal rather than in a, a file that ends in .html. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually what ends up happening is React encourages you to build a component architecture. So in a tra- traditional MVC system um, you actually have kind of like four components. You've got a model which is a bunch of JavaScript objects that talk to the server um, you've got a controller which is kind of where you pile everything that you, you don't know where to put it um, and you've got a, a view which usually has a template attached to it of some type. Um, in Angular they don't call it a template but it kind of is the same thing. It's like an HTML file um, effectively. Now that encourages kind of like a, a somewhat monolithic architecture. So you've got like this big fat controller that knows everything about a big fat view, which then needs to know everything about um, the templates. And the templates can, can be kind of split out. But you've still got these big kind of fat uh, monolithic layers. Um, but the thing is, is that you know, your, your template corresponds to one part of the page which is then driven by some view logic, which is also driven by some controller logic. And if you look at how designers work, they don't think in terms of MVC at all. They think in terms of components. So um, I'll grab a, like the way that I I build with React a lot is I'll get the Photoshop file from my designer and I'll look at the layer names in Photoshop because they're already designing with components in mind. They're (laughs) like, oh, this is is the, the profile switcher and it appears in these 10 places. So I'll just copy and paste it from my master PSD. So like that's my blueprint for building React apps. I just build like a component with the same name. And then it makes working with a designer really easy because you know, he just goes in, looks at the layer name, then looks at the JavaScript source file, and then um, he probably is a little bit upset that he has to edit um, some JavaScript rather than... Uh, HTML, but the benefits for the front-end engineers are are so far and away worth it that um, you know taking the extra couple of days to to figure out that you need to look for class name colon rather than class equals um, you know looking in JavaScript rather than um, in HTML uh, is totally worth it
0: yeah, yeah that sounds really good uh, yeah so that's that's a pretty good uh, testament as far as uh, uh, taking designers and 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 seeing how they uh, split things up and and how that's componentized and that's a pretty pretty neat approach.
1: Do uh, well, yeah, that, that's what you'll find. Um, kind of the deeper you dig with React, uh, it's very very clear that we use this for tons and tons of stuff at Facebook and Instagram. Um, you know, like our error messages are all they kind of like link back to the documentation, and they're they're never kind of like a cryptic internal stack trace. Um, there's one in particular that is right now, but like we want to kill it. Um, but everything else is pretty good. <laughs> Right, uh, Excellent. and you know, getting the designer workflow down um, is something that we have to deal with as well. And so, um, it's not like we just forgot about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. The um, I also saw on your on your website that um, there's a or something that helps, I guess, uh, bridge the gap between HTML and, and JavaScript was this JSX compiler. Is that still a good a good approach for for helping people get into the React mode?
1: Yeah, um, so we use JSX um, exclusively at Facebook and Instagram. Our community, it seems like it's about 50-50. Maybe a little bit more people use JSX than don't. Um, but the way that you build applications in, in React is you have like a, a function, basically, that takes in some data that we call props and state, and then it emits um, this like so-called virtual DOM. And the way that you emit it is you, you return an object that you construct with like a bunch of built-in functions. So you might say, you know, return react.dom.div parenthesis, you know, um, react.dom.span and, um, and, like, nest these, these function calls. And um, what we found is that uh, that syntax can get a little bit annoying because it's a little bit hard to, to map up, you know, where your closing tag is. Because um, you, you don't have a closing slash div anymore, you have it um, just like a parenthesis. Right, and so um, obviously, like the closure community, which is Lisp, um, doesn't care about this and doesn't use um, <laughs> yes. JSX because you know they believe that um, that syntax, you know, has a bunch of parentheses is fine. Um, and I'm actually inclined to agree with them, uh, but you know, for for a lot of people, they want um, they they see some benefits in this. So we have um, a dialect of of JavaScript that translates kind of inline HTML literals um, into to JavaScript function calls. Okay. And so that's a fork of a parser called Esprima, um, and it um, can just very quickly just run over your code, identify things that look like HTML, and just turn it into function calls. So if you write like a div tag in the middle of your code, um, it'll just turn it into like div parenthesis parenthesis
0: Wow! And then uh, so you can basically just run this as a uh, um, uh, run like a watch on the on the files, and it'll just uh, keep watching these things and cr- and creating uh, JavaScript out of the uh, out of the build. Um, or out of the source files, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We can do that. We also have, um, like a development only, um, like in browser transformer thing. Oh. Uh, so you can say like script type equals JSX and, um, and it'll process it, but you know, you only really want to do that in development.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's good. So then, so basically you kind of got a bridge there so people can, can, uh, uh, write something that's closer to, to HTML and, and not have to, you know, or if they wanted to go straight into the programming model, they can go straight in and, and uh, build it up that way. So two different ways to do it. And I guess uh, many other bindings come along besides JavaScript uh, as well. So that's, that's really, really, really interesting. Yeah. The, um, so what else, uh, so what else do people need to know about, uh, about uh, React? Um, is there any uh, tips or tricks on, on, making the leap to this model is it uh is it pretty foreign to people when they are used to coming from these other things um it would seem like that with the template templating um i mean without templating that maybe it's a little easier to change things and to add things because maybe stuff's all in one file or something like that is that uh, kind of what you've seen
1: that's what we found um part of this is you need to to kind of try it out on something real um to to really internalize um how much working in other systems sucks. I think, yeah. uh, so you you get in kind of this. You, you start just kind of like writing the the minimum amount of code needed to to fully express your app, which is um, which is pretty nice. Uh, and then when so I, I build a lot of like examples that compare, um, you know, f- React and and Ember, React and Angular, React and Backbone, or something like that. Um, and I just find myself kind of like having to to fight the, syst- the the framework a little bit, so you need to to enforce this arbitrary separation where you know you 've got um, directives on one side of the fence and, and markup on the other side of the fence, and you write a lot of code to just glue those together for the sake of gluing them together um, or in the case of uh, of a traditional data binding system, you say you like write your program code and then you have to make sure that you like manually track the the data dependencies between them. And if you make a mistake, the system can't warn you that you made a mistake. Your behavior is just incorrect, and so um, you'll find that like when you kind of get like this liberating abstraction, um, it's it's just so y- complex things just become so much easier. Um, so kind of on the on the flip side of that, um, if you kind of write your to do list or your your hello world with with, with React, it's it's probably going to be a little bit more code than um, if you use something like um angular or ember uh but the instant that you need to customize anything um and make it kind of not just a simple iteration over a list or something uh that's when react really shines because you can it just gives you so much power
0: that's great yeah the um I guess another question I had is, you mentioned that you could also uh, render this. Um, I think you mentioned with Node. Uh, so how would uh, how how would that work as far as being able to maybe render on the server or uh, and all that?
1: Well, um, that's a great question. Uh, React is designed to be the like most expressive way that you can render a view hierarchy onto some sort of rendering backend, um, and all of our rendering backends are basically plugins. Um, so the React core can run anywhere that JavaScript runs. Uh, so our default plugin is, is what we call like the, the browser DOM plugin. Um, but we have another one uh, that's kind of a, a subset of that, which renders to an HTML string. And so you can basically boot up React on the server without a browser DOM, which is, which is really heavyweight and expensive, um, and, and just render like a plain string of HTML. And then if you want to serve that to Google... Um, you'll get like a, a pretty nice boost in your page rank. Um, if you want to serve that to the client, you can either serve them a static page and just write your code with React, um, or you can send that down and then run React on the client, and it will see, hey, you know, it looks like you, you server-rendered the page here and there's markup already there. Um, so it can basically adopt that markup and reuse it. So um, it, won't change, it won't actually change the page at all when, when the JavaScript starts it 'll just attach, like attach event handlers and start responding to events, so you get like this this great situation where if you 're like Facebook and you have to you're kind of job, you have a lot of JavaScript to download. Um, you can serve down in a static HTML page and the user could like start typing a comment and by the time the user hits submit, the JavaScript has downloaded, but they didn 't even notice because it all attached in the background
0: Wow, that sounds really great i mean i 've always uh, had a problem with not being able to serve from the, you know serve the HTML from the server. Um, you know when you go to the single page app style, you know thing, but that sounds like you know the best of both worlds. I mean, because you can you can serve it for the uh, for the crawlers, you can also serve it as a as a performance improvement for the for the user because they can see the page quickly, and then if it all binds up and starts uh, you know working after after the JavaScript loads, that's that sounds really great. So,
1: well, yeah, that's the advantage of um, of again like coming from within the Facebook gauntlet. So in order for this technology to, to be, to become the big bet that Facebook has made on it. Um, it had to go through like multiple rounds of really, really smart engineers, like trying to kill it basically. And it has to survive. It's survival of the fittest. Right. And, and one of the things is like, we can't like write our entire site in JavaScript and one day wake up and realize like our response times and, um, you know, the developing world are really bad because we block the whole page download on JavaScript. Um, because in that point, you know, if you're, if you're tied to the browser DOM, you need to rewrite your whole site, right? rewrite everything. So um, this was kind of like a a very important part of React from the beginning, which was like, we need to be able to render both server on the client um, and kind of almost be able to have your cake and eat it too, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. Is there any uh, thought to even possibly, um, since you, if you could potentially have this virtual DOM on the server... Uh, and the virtual DOM on the client. Is there any thought about you know maybe doing some you know if if somebody was building some kind of a game or something where you needed this um, state coming in from multiple places? If you know you know served over socket IO or something. I don't know. I mean, I'm just theorizing here that you could probably even do some pretty cool um, you know things with with having the state and you know uh, in both places or you know server. Yeah, anywhere. yeah.
1: So so there's some cool ideas. Uh, we. We never actually um, implemented this idea because we determined that it was—it's um, a little hard at Facebook scale to have like a lot of state on the server. Um, but but there's a couple of, of cool things that, that come out of this. So imagine that we kept the um, the virtual DOM representation on the server, um, and we sent the DOM commands and browser events over socket IO. Um, that means we could do kind of expensive data fetching on the server where it's cheap. Um, and update the UI on the client um, rather than like having to do expensive data fetches, kind of round trip over the network. Um, now, for like sort of multiplayer applications, like you had mentioned, um, it turns out that um, this hasn't been that um, this hasn't been as good for um, for the applications that I've worked on um, because kind of one of the, one of the things that um, that React focuses on is like the minimal set of mutable state possible in your application and when you have that a lot of times it's easier to just share that mutable state across the network than, than the, the like full UI itself so you, there's actually a package on NPM called that I wrote called react-multiplayer and that uses a system called Firebase where you, you add this mix into your component and it'll automatically share it into Firebase so all, all users viewing the component will get the same state representation uh, which is pretty cool yeah um, there, there's some other uh, other kind of cool things around this as well um, where if your state is serializable um, you can actually, and because React again emphasizes the minimum set of mutable state and just renders whatever's there um, to the DOM without kind of worrying about the, the steps leading up to it uh, you can save and load your application from local storage like very simply, like you just save the state and you reload it and, and React will do the right thing And you can also, like, use this technique for bug reports, too. So imagine somebody is going through Facebook and, like, uploading a photo and, you know, for some reason the photo doesn't upload correctly. And the user hits, like, report a bug. This happens to us all the time. I used to be on the Photos team here. Uh, And they basically write some profanity into the bug report and they send it to us. And we're just like, oh, that was helpful. Thank you. Um, (laughs) But what if we actually were keeping track of all the React state transitions and we sent those to the server along with a bug report? Then we could almost have like, um, like a VCR and we could hit play on the bug report and load it into our console and watch the user interactions as they occurred um, and then be like, then we could stop it right, you know, um, we could load into the, the development mode of our build and basically look at the, um, all the assertions and make sure that, that, um, you know, that it was executing the way we intended So there's a lot of stuff that you get for free when you just build like the browser doesn't exist and you kind of put the browser into its own little corner. And this is um, like one thing that really distinguishes React from something like Web Components and and Polymer and that kind of thing. They're kind of building, they're getting closer and closer in with the browser and we're getting farther and farther from the browser. And I think that our technique is more sustainable in the long term.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a really great approach. So with React, what, uh, what are some of the notable users that, uh, that are using uh, React and, uh, and any feedback that they've given you so far?
1: Let me uh, pull up the list. Uh, I, made a, I made a list recently for this. Um, but the, the big ones are obviously um, Facebook and Instagram, kind of where we, we came up with it. Uh, but we've seen um, pretty great uptick and uh, adoption from Khan Academy. And um I actually, I think our number two contributor in terms of like lines of code committed is um, an employee at Khan Academy. So that's pretty awesome, I'd say. yeah, that's excellent. um we've also got uh you know the the Oscars were were last night um, and the New York Times feature for you know they they like have this feature where. Uh, everyone, you know, looks at all the dresses and tuxedos and stuff, and talks about how awesome they are. Um, that's built in React uh, on NewYorkTimes.com, so that's pretty cool. Um, the largest bank in Russia um, recently released their new um, web experience, and that's written in React as well. Um, there, there are some some other companies. Um, that I'm not really sure if I can talk about what they're doing internally, but um, you know, very big tech companies using it um, on some smaller features and um, some internal tools, and they're still still evaluating, um, you know, whether they're going to go um, full React or not. Yeah, excellent. But one thing that's cool is that um, Khan Academy is all developed on GitHub, so um, like they're they went full React, like that they use React for like all their their JS um, or all the new JS that they're doing. And so you can like follow along the development and like see what a production React app looks like by looking at the Khan Academy GitHub.
0: Wow, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Does um, I, I one of the questions I forgot to mention or ask you about was I know you mentioned there was going to be different uh, targets um, that you could uh, you know it was agnostic as far as what it could uh, target so you could target the canvas you could target the DOM was there is there any uh, interest in uh, potentially targeting something like PDF or something like that? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, PDF would, we haven't built it, but mm-hmm. um, targeting PDF would make a lot of sense. I mean, um, anything where you have kind of like a hierarchy of visual components, so um, like PDFs would be a really good example. Canvas is something that we already target, um, the browser DOM, HTML. Uh, the the backend we're currently working on is um, is what we're calling like a remote DOM. So remember earlier we talked about um, like, you know, what if you ran the virtual DOM in Node and sent messages over sockets? Um, maybe we we wouldn't use that, um, but maybe we would do it with web workers. So you run your entire application off the main browser thread, so you get the smooth scrolling. Um, but you uh, and you just send you know your your DOM manipulations over to the, the main thread, and the main thread sends back um, you know events to the worker.
0: Yeah, that sounds really good. So what are uh, so we just got a few minutes left. Uh, what. Uh, what other kind of things uh, do you see for the future of React, or any other kind of projects or related things that uh, might be going on that uh, you know, we should um, watch out for or think about?
1: Well, what's next with React? I mean, we've got we're always making improvements. Uh, so we've got you know people are reporting that their apps got twice as fast um, with React in the next release, and we we have um, kind of more optimizations coming. So performance is always kind of get. What I think is interesting is like performance is always going to get better, and um, and the API is always going to get smaller. So we're gonna we're gonna try to remove um, some kind of duplicated API calls, um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, we are gonna work on a kind of shareable official shareable components specification. So like, wouldn't it be great if you could just npm install React Type Ahead, and then you could you get like a Facebook style Type Ahead. Um, you can do that today, but we just haven't quite like, we want to, we want to make the experience like really, really slick. So, you know, you, you, search in a component repository page and there's like example code and a live sample. Um, like, wouldn't that be great? Uh, so that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, just more integrations to full stack starter kits. Yeah. Um, that type of thing, hoping to convince some of the major frameworks um, to you know use react as, as their rendering piece um, just because I think that our solution is you know light years ahead of, of kind of the, the status quo because nobody has built like a browser agnostic rendering engine that targets the browser before um, so uh, yeah just just kind of um, trying to, to get all the pieces in place but um, the end goal for for react and Facebook and open sourcing react is to get the ideas out there and convince people that the ideas are good. So um, you don't so to convince people that like you know a mutable state in your user interface is something that you should declare war on. Um, you know rendering your UI in this immediate mode fashion where you just throw out the old UI and re-render the new one and, and figure out what changed automatically um, can be fast and is a lot easier to program. Uh, so you know if if some other system takes React and rips it off and, you know, whatever, like that's, that's still a win for us. Yeah. Um, I don't recommend that they do that because it's, it's, um, actually, you know, pretty hard to work out all the kinks. Um, and they should just, you know, contribute to us and and we'll contribute to them and stuff. But, um, but the, the the real win is in the ideas and the architecture.
0: Yeah. That sounds great. Well, that's a, after, after uh, hearing you talk about all this, I'm going to have to go and uh, check it out. I've, I've uh, you know, haven't been, uh, I've looked at some of the, the examples and stuff, but uh, this really, uh, really sounds exciting. And I didn't know about all the, uh, the depth and how, you know, all the details and all that all plays out. And so I'm really excited to, to try it out myself and uh, give it a, give it a go. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Thanks, Pete. Um, hey, thanks. How can uh, people uh, follow you and uh, maybe contribute back to some of the projects and that? What's the best place to do that?
1: Well, um, We've got our GitHub is Facebook slash uh, React. And then um, I'm Floydophone on Twitter. Uh, and I only really tweet about like React stuff or like front end web things. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, you know, um, we're a pretty friendly group. We've got um, an IRC chat room on Freenode, um, which is like pound React JS. And that's um, kind of like, the facebook like ui team all, a lot of them like idle in there during the workday um on pacific time and um and so you can go in there and, and ping anybody and, and we generally respond pretty quick so
0: ah, that's great yeah and and as far as uh, for a new person to start out um, should they just go to the uh, was it reactjs.org is that the best place or uh yeah yeah okay and i know there's videos and examples and all that on there so that's uh, that's excellent so thanks, Pete. I appreciate uh, you taking the time to share all these uh, details about React. I'm, I'm excited to, to see what, uh, what comes forward from all this, and uh, I think it's a great, uh, a great framework. Thanks a lot, Jeff. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of CodeWinds with Pete Hunt. I would love to hear what you think about this interview or about React. Head over to codewinds.com slash four and leave me a message. Also, if you would like to help others find this podcast, please give a quick rating on iTunes. That will help boost our visibility in the iTunes directory. Until next time, this is Jeff Barcheski with Code Wins. Music by Audionautics.com.